Hello and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. I'm going to start this episode off with a story. See, back in 2006, I worked at a local credit union in my hometown of Imperial, Missouri. I was a part-timer, so I only worked on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, usually for like five or six hours. So on those days, I'd get home from school, and by school, I mean college, and by college, I mean a technical school that got shut down for fraudulent lending several years later. I would change clothes into my favorite khaki pants and a company-issued polo shirt, and I would drive the five to seven miles to the credit union, ready for my shift, which was usually only about four or five hours long. And it's kind of funny because I remember going in on a Saturday, and you never really know when your last day at work is going to be. I mean, I should have known. I should have known based on the way people were acting around me, the sort of weird sideways glances that everybody was giving me, and how nobody really talked to me throughout most of the shift. But I was pretty oblivious back then. I was 20, so I basically just rolled with it. And then at the end of my shift, my manager calls me into her office, and I walk back with her, and I notice right away that something's up because our HR lady as well as my boss's boss are there. Then it finally hits me. Oh, great, Dan, you're getting fired. And I'm kind of standing there racking my brain trying to figure out why this is happening because I was a good hard worker. I was never late for my shift. I never miscounted any money. I never stole any money. I was always friendly with the credit union members. So, like, why? Why am I being fired? I haven't done anything wrong. Well, they they told me why. They didn't really give me like a, a very good definitive reason as to why. But some of the things that we talked about, and by we talked about, I mean they told me, is I need to be more presentable. You know, maybe maybe I need to tuck my shirt in more. I need to be more flexible. Maybe I'm not always willing to come in on days that I'm supposed to have off. I need to be more interested in my coworkers. Apparently, when people would talk to me for long periods of time, they just didn't feel like I was very engaged with what they had to say. They said I could be a little bit less standoffish and less robotic. And I'm not even kidding. Robotic is a word that they actually used. And, you know, they weren't giving me this advice so that I could be successful at their company. It was just, like, good advice for the next company that I was going to work at because I wasn't going to work there anymore. So about three minutes later... I'm in the parking lot with my car keys in hand, kind of fighting back the urge to cry and also the urge to beat my fists against the manager's car windshield. Ultimately, I decided to make a better life choice than that. So I just stomped over to my car, sort of fumbled my keys out of my pocket. You know how you pull your keys out of your pocket when you're angry? Like You do it all weird and violent. It probably looks weird, but you feel like you're doing something really, really tough. Plot myself down in the seat, and then I grab my Holy Grail, my CD booklet, one of those like 400 CDs, and in in, in, you guys know what I'm talking about. I grabbed the first CD that I could find. It was bright red. I popped it in and threw my head back. And about 41 minutes later, I'm sitting in my driveway. I, I drove all the way home. It really wasn't that long of a drive. You'd be lucky to have maybe your song or two. 
I'm sitting there in the driveway thinking to myself, are they right? Do do I need to change? Am I am I too hard to get along with? Am I too abrasive? Am I standoffish? Am I not palatable for most people? Well, yeah, yeah, that was that was a hundred percent true, but you could not have convinced me of that back whenever I was twenty years old. It would be another fifteen years before I would really take that lesson to heart. Also happening in 2006, the Christian metalcore band Norma Jean released their third album, Redeemer. You know, what this episode is supposedly about. This album is super significant to me for a lot of reasons. But the most significant reason is that it's the first Norma Jean album that sounds like Norma Jean. At least the Norma Jean that we recognize now. Before this, Norma Jean was a band called Ludicrous, who played a very heavy, sort of new metal-inspired version of metalcore. Maybe it wasn't metalcore, but whatever. They even put out an album as Ludicrous called Throwing Myself. But eventually, I guess somebody in the band started listening to Coalesce or Botch or Dead Guy or a band like that. And they ended up changing their name to Norma Jean, and they started playing chaotic metalcore or hardcore. When I was a kid, I would just call it, like, I just I just called it all hardcore because it had screaming. So that's probably not technically right, but I guess you just have to bear with me. This band was really in tune with their love of chaos, and they crafted one of my favorite metalcore records of all time in Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. They recorded that record basically live in studio with Killswitch Engage's Adam D, and that album still makes me happy. Like, like 20 years later, I would just pop it on, and I'm like, oh my god, this is still the best record I've ever heard in my life. It's not technically true, but that's how I feel when I'm listening to it. And yeah, 20 years old, so in case you didn't feel old before you turned this podcast on, well, you're welcome. The thing is, is I had a girlfriend at the time, as surprising as that might be to some people, and she did not appreciate Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child as much as I did. Some of the words that she used to describe it was, it's too unpredictable, it's too inhuman, it's too exhausting. It's not memorable, it's too unpalatable. There's that word again. Despite this, though, I guess she didn't hold it against me too much because she did still make the questionable decision of agreeing to be my wife a few years later, so I feel like I won in that. Three years later, in 2005, Norma Jean had been pretty roughed up on the road. Their vocalist, Josh, he sort of just quit the band right after the album came out while they were on tour. Just told everybody, hey, hey man, I'm, uh, I'm feeling led to leave the band, and he did. And the band continued to tour. They they played some instrumental shows. They had a guy named Brad Norris filling in on vocals. But he wasn't like a permanent replacement. The band was in kind of a tight spot. I would say they probably went, let's see, between 2002 and 2005, just ha- having fill-in vocalists. But they finally found a guy named Corey Brandon, who used to sing for a band called Esocaris or Esocaris. Again, guys, I'm terrible at pronunciation, so you're just going to have to help me out. Uh, just, you know, send me a send me an email, dftdungeon at gmail.com. Let me know how I'm supposed to pronounce some of this stuff. But he sang for Esocaris, and he could also sometimes be spotted playing guitar in Living Sacrifice, which I'll talk more about those guys in a future episode. Thankfully for everybody who was a fan, the band was able to pull through, and they did record and release a second album called Oh God, The Aftermath which was actually nominated for a Grammy. Yeah, you know, like the Grammys. Kind of crazy for a Christian hardcore band in 2006. 
they actually were nominated for the Grammy for having the best album packaging, and that's pretty cool. If you if you ever look through the through the liner notes of Oh God, the aftermath. There's it, there's a lot of really really cool pictures in there. It's it's kind of good all on its own as an art piece. And that album is a little bit different than actually it's it's a lot different than Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. This one doesn't sound like it was recorded live, and to my ears, this album sounds the least like Norma Jean because it sounds significantly cleaner and more precise than the previous album. I'll clarify how that makes me feel a little later. But before we can really talk about Redeemer, I have to tell another story. After the whole credit union debacle, it took me basically forever to find another job, and forever for me in 2006 was like, I don't know, maybe like three or four weeks. It was actually pretty pretty easy to find jobs back then, but it, it didn't feel that way. You know, you'd do an interview and people wouldn't call you back, and of course you have a little bit of a complex because of what you were told when you were fired at your last job. So being a part-time bank teller with an insane trade school college class sort of schedule didn't leave me with a lot of opportunities to, uh, to, to sort of redefine what I was doing. I just needed to find another bank teller job because it's the thing that I knew how to do. And I remember I was driving around St. Louis City for like three to five hours at a time, like every day, wearing an actual suit and tie in my shitty ZX2, blasting Norma Jean's Redeemer and Me Without You, whose brother's sister. Those albums came out around the same time. And to me, they're almost like I listen to one. I listen to them as chapters. Like I always I'll start with Redeemer and then go right into Brother Sister. And the albums actually complement each other pretty well. And uh I'll have to talk about Brother Sister on another episode because that's one of my favorite Me Without You albums. But I was just applying for any job that would take the time to interview me for a few minutes. Eventually, I landed another job as a teller at an actual bank, not a credit union. And I remember that since I'd lost my other job for being not so easy to digest, I guess as far as humans are concerned, personality-wise, I did a lot of soul-seeking and... I was trying to figure out a way to at least seem more acceptable and more sociable. And I guess the only word that I can really use to describe what I came up with is I was fake. I was fake to the people at work. I just, I, I started working there and I, I talked to people incessantly. I asked them about their problems. I freely talked about my problems, but in kind of a superficial way, you know how like you, you'll be bearing your soul to somebody and they're just like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, great, yeah. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Wow. I was basically that guy. And I, I can still be that guy sometimes, but I, I try I try not to be. But at my core, I, I would really would have rather just not been talking to anybody or be listening to records or just doing something that I was more comfortable with, something that put me in my happy place. Uh, if, if unpleasant topics or issues came up, I usually kept my opinions to myself, which might be kind of a shock to some of you guys that are listening. And this strategy did seem to work because within a couple of years, I was no longer a part-time teller, but I was a full-on new accounts personal banker. And they even relocated me to a branch on the rich side of town because I guess they just figured, hey, this guy's like super fake. I think these rich people are going to love him. And I got as far as I did because I wore suits and ties and I combed my hair every morning so that I could have a nice outer shell. I could have good packaging. And eventually I was promoted again, and this time I actually got a supervisor role. And I got to be Mr. Hey guys, there's donuts in the break room. You know, just like trying to make people think that you're cool, even though you're not cool. People that are cool don't really think about whether they're cool or not. 
And this lasted for about three months. And I felt pretty good about it. That is until I realized that my employees, who were mostly teenagers, were trash-talking me behind my back to my boss. This is never a good scenario. (laughs) They were just a little bit younger than me, and they were vastly smarter than I was, apparently. And they could see right through my nice-guy, award-winning outer packaging. Basically, they just they knew that I was fake, and they didn't like it. They, they, I guess they wanted to work for somebody that was more authentic. I get it now. I, I definitely didn't get it at the time. They wanted somebody more real, and they, they wanted somebody more tangible, somebody more relatable. And I remember one weekend, me and my wife got really, really sick. We had bronchitis. And we basically sat in our two-bedroom apartment, hacking our lungs out for three days, attempting to play Super Mario Galaxy for the Nintendo Wii. For two sick people, we did manage to get all of the stars as Mario and as Luigi, which I count as uh, one of the highlight achievements of my life. But when I came into work the following Monday, everything was suspiciously quiet. This time I was a bit more clued in on what was going on, though. I mean, this I've seen this movie before. Manager called me into her office. HR person was there. I hadn't done anything wrong, but I just wasn't a good culture fit, is the way they put it. For the company and they said that maybe banking wasn't really my thing and i guess it wasn't because that was the last bank job i ever had they took my bank keys and they sent me out to the parking lot this time with an armed security guard because banks apparently make a lot more money than credit unions do so i did the same thing i violently pulled my keys out of my pocket took my tie off and threw it on the ground i did pick it up because littering is for losers and i sat in my car sort of staring at my angry face in the rearview mirror I grabbed that now super old cracking book of CDs and uh, I saw that red CD again. After calling my wife on the way home and telling her, yeah, it it, it happened again, I was kind of like listening to Redeemer and I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what I had screwed up. I mean, I I put on the suit, I put on the tie, I combed my hair, I looked good, and I addressed all the problems from last time. I overfixed those problems and it worked for a long time. So why do I keep getting fired from jobs because people don't like me? So I'm listening to Redeemer, and I'm listening to Corey Brandon screaming at me at the top of his lungs, just, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? In a grand scene for a color film. And I thought I understood the message of Redeemer to be all about about being yourself and about sticking to your guns. And mostly, mostly it was about angst. And I was right, but I was only half right. But now that I've gotten that off my chest, I feel like now we could talk about Redeemer. So Redeemer starts off hard, and I mean really hard. I remember listening to the MySpace stream of that album that they did back in 2006, right before the album came out, and my dad commented to me, you know, this sounds like they just threw a human being into an electrical transformer. (laughs) And now that I'm a dad, I still don't know what he meant by that. This song aesthetically sounds exactly like what you'd expect from Norma Jean at that point. Loud, dense, dissonant guitars, pounding drums, screamed vocals. 
It's so powerful, in fact, that it actually sounds glorious. By the time the song's over, you almost need a breather, but you're not going to get one for a little while. However, this is no carbon copy of what Norma Jean had done in the past. The first change that you might notice is that Corey is yelling, screaming, and singing his way through these songs. In Bless the Martyr, the vocals were just screamed from beginning to end. And trust me, that, that was awesome. I'm, I'm really into that. Uh, in Oh God, The Aftermath, they were mostly screamed, unless you were at the chorus and Corey did his now iconic shout-scream type of clean vocals. They were catchy. I mean, like so, some, some, of, some of Norma Jean's best choruses are on Oh God, The Aftermath. Uh, but, but, but trust me, it, it gets better. In Redeemer, this distinction between the two vocal styles, there, it doesn't exist. There, there are no hard lines between him doing different types of vocals. So these songs have defined choruses like they did in Oh God, The Aftermath. And of course, this album's going to have strong choruses because it was produced by Ross Robinson, who is pretty famous at this point for making bands work on their choruses. But this unpredictability in vocal structure sort of created a more off-balance and suspenseful experience. In the last episode of the podcast, me and Rant sort of talked about that when we were talking about At the Drive-In, how it's unpredictable and it sort of throws you off balance. But the difference here is that the music is intense and it does sort of throw you off your game, but it also provides a lot of like really welcome relief in the form of melodic, clean vocals. More melodic, more clean, more commercial sounding, dare I say, than what we had gotten on Oh God, The Aftermath. And I have to admit, back in 2006, as a young Christian hardcore guy, I took issue with that at first because it sounded like, dude, this band totally sold out. I mean, it's kind of kind of a sentiment that I think that the band would find hilarious at this stage, but whatever. I didn't know how the industry worked back then. I was just... I just figured if a band had a CD out, then they must be doing better financially than I was, which is probably still true now that I think about it. But on on Redeemer, it's different in that it's unpredictable, but it's also very pleasing to listen to. And I think that's something that Norma Jean, you, you couldn't get on the first listen when you were listening to the first two albums. It wasn't immediately likable. You could listen to it and get used to it, you know, and I think that's where, that's like top 40 rock radio listener is going to listen to an album like Redeemer and think, oh, wow, this is like really, really, really loud. But once they're about six tracks in, they will find themselves humming along to the choruses of this band. That sort of interaction, that sort of like instant likability did not exist on Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. You could only really enjoy it if that was already your thing, or you had heard, or you had heard this for the first time, and you just decided like, okay, this is the type of thing that I'm into right now. Not that different than what I did with Zayo back in the day. Like I heard Zayo once, and I was like, this is it. But I also had to like sort of get used to it and figure out what I was supposed to like about it. So I think anybody that started with Norma Jean's previous two albums would have had that sort of experience. But they didn't have it on Redeemer. Redeemer is instantly likable. And I think the reason why Redeemer is so instantly likable is this is when Norma Jean stopped trying to please their audience because their audience was hardcore guys. 
Guy, guys that are into heavy bands and like screaming, they, they would have the same reaction to Redeemer that I did, which was, I don't know, man, like it's still mostly cool, but I, I don't know about these choruses. I don't know about, you know, the, the, the more more rock band sort of sort of song structures. But that argument falls apart if you listen to the record because everything that you've liked about Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child, and even Oh God, the Aftermath is on Redeemer. It's a part of the sound. They just, they, they sort of just took the, the good things out of what they had done before and made a new thing out of it. And I think that's just because once they're at this stage, the band's not trying to please their audience. Now they're trying to please themselves. Okay, we might need a quotation on that one. I'm, I'm not sure if that's exactly how the band would phrase it. Anyway, on the song Blueprints for Future Homes, the band lays down a shouted and anthemic vocal hook by uttering the simple phrase, yeah, well, that's what I said. And they focus on pumping the listener up or a live show attendee up instead of just beating them into the ground like they had sort of done before. Uh, a small spark versus a great forest. They inject a huge dose of feels into their brutal riffs and chaos. But then there's this emotionally sung, not really too beautiful sounding chorus of rip this tongue out by the root. And like, I've said this. I said this on my other podcast, discography discussion, when we were talking about Norma Jean. I was talking about how Corey doesn't have a traditionally beautiful singing voice, but the way he sings is so emotional and so from the heart and so real, especially on this record, that it's hard not to sort of just get completely wrapped up in it. And he delivers it in smaller doses on this album because he's got sort of all of these other sort of vocal styles going on. And that's sort of the thing about Norma Jean even now is that it's really not about how clean or beautiful the singing is. It's about the emotion. And that's the secret. That's that sugar-filled center of the harder outer shell, you know? And if you're not moved by that song at least a little bit, you might have no soul or you might just have meat instead of a brain. But Norma Jean still has you covered, even if you are a meathead, as the song A Temperamental Widower and The End of All Things Will Be Televised really have no problem beating you into submission. I remember sweating my ass off at Mississippi Nights at 11.30 p.m. on a technical school night, seeing Corey scream, Tonight the South is on fire! You know, while beating his fist in the air along with me and 400 other people. And the interesting fact is that is the only show I ever saw at Mississippi Nights. And between the Buried and Me, they were, they were one of the opening bands. Uh, they didn't open the show, but they were like maybe the second or third band that played. So I went into that Norma Jean show with my face already properly melted. Between the Buried and Me is also a great band that you will hear me talk about again should you choose to continue listening to this podcast. But anyway, the, what Norma Jean did on this album is they took the most unique aspects mostly from Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. They took the most unique aspects of that sound and combined it with a genuine love of good songwriting. But it wasn't songwriting where, you know, it sounded like somebody, like a producer or someone like that, was telling them how to write their songs or how to perform their songs. It's just that Corey, especially now that I've got, you know, more hindsight and I've listened to more Norma Jean albums after this, Corey has a genuine love for songwriting, like good, solid songwriting that sticks with you. 
and you you can't get rid of it. I mean, this many years later, I'm still sort of humming these songs and enjoying these songs and still listening to this album and still sometimes finding things that are kind of hidden in each song. But they took that mo they took most of the Bless the Martyr sound and they wrote songs that made sense for the band that they were because they can't just abandon the chaos. They can't abandon the way that they play what their signature sound up to that point is. You know, they they still had to sound like that, but they also still wanted to do something new, something interesting. And uh, they didn't copy other bands or seek direction from anywhere. But I mean, it, it all sort of came from within, from the from the same from the same bag, the same the same parts, the same pieces. And they were able to carve out a new song by rearranging those parts in a much more intelligent way than they had before, a much more mature way can't believe I said mature on a podcast. I hate it when people say, oh, this sound is much more mature, but in this case, it really applies. And the point that I'm hammering home, and I'm, I'm saying the same thing over and over again using different words, is that they created success out of what they already had all along. And even to this day, that self-reinvention and the signature sound, it still lives and breathes on Redeemer. It's still with the band to this day. You can you can go. There's a new Norma Jean album coming out. I think like in a month or so, as of the recording of this podcast. And I bet you, whenever you listen to it, you're still going to hear elements of that Redeemer sound from 2006. And yeah, sure. I mean, the band has had new members. They've had members come and go, but the legacy of the band is still very much intact. And despite the songs being more mainstream accessible. The benefit of hindsight tells me something that I would have never admitted in 2006. But Redeemer is more Norma Jean than Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. So I talked about the album. But you might be wondering what I meant earlier when I said that I only got the message of Redeemer half right. Like, let me try to explain as best I can. I've worked a lot of other jobs since that final bank job. I don't think it's hard to see that maybe there are things about my personality that don't always work out. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a good culture fit for a company. Sometimes I'm not a good culture fit for a company. I've always sort of had trouble taking direction from other people. And I think maybe some of that pig-headishness came from listening to hardcore albums, (laughs) you know, for, for a good portion of my life. And so I, I do sometimes see the world in, in black and white, and sometimes I, I see people that are trying to genuinely help me as people that are just criticizing me, and that's something that I still struggle with to this day. So I've gone through a lot of jobs. And, you know, I said earlier that I got the message of Redeemer only half right. See, I interpreted the message of angst that was on Redeemer as sort of a form of rebellion against the establishment. and I, And I think that, like, there's aspects of that in all of Norma Jean's music, but uh, this is the first record where I, I really sort of felt that. And it made me feel good about myself and my life choices, and it reinforced a lot of viewpoints I had about the world at that time. Like, that's that's really great album stuff, but, like, the part that I got wrong is that I clung to who I was to a fault. So... After that bank job, I was no longer like Mr. Fake at my jobs. I wasn't fake to get my way. I just, I would just argue with people until I got my way or they got their way and I got let go. 
I just held my ground to an unreasonable degree, and I continued to stay hard to deal with, and I continued to stay unpalatable. And the part of the message of Redeemer that I missed was the part where I needed to reinvent who I was to find a solution. And when I say reinvent, I don't necessarily mean that I need to change. I need to stop being who I am. You know, on, on Wednesday, I'm this person. On Thursday, I'm this other person. I just needed to find a way to make it better in the world because my old methods, my old ways weren't working anymore. And I had to find a way to stop living in an endless cycle of immaturity. I had to evolve. See, the credit union story was bless the martyr, kiss the child. It, it was a primordial, abrasive, and loud state of being, and it clashed with most people. And if it was refined, it actually had the potential to be more than itself, right? Like, if it, it, you know, you can't necessarily fault somebody for being who they are before they really realize that's a problem or before anybody tells you it's a problem. And I'm not saying there's a problem with Norma Jean. This is a little bit more personal. I'm just sort of using it as, a, as an example. And, um, you know, the bank story is, oh, God, the aftermath. Uh, it's a different approach from mostly the same band, much like me being sort of fake was, you know, a different approach to, you know, with the same person. But, uh, you know, on Oh God, The Aftermath, they sort of cleaned up a little bit. The, the record sounds physically cleaner than Bless the Martyr did. Uh, and they also don't really sound like Norma Jean on that record to me. They sound similar, but they conform to a specific sound on that one. Now, just because I was being a fake person at work is not the same thing as me saying that I think that Oh God wasn't a sincere record. The lyrics would disagree with that idea. It's good, but it just isn't Norma Jean for me. The vocals sound too good. The screaming sounds more monotonous and lacking in emotion to my ears. But anyway, I can go into more detail on those albums in future episodes. Uh, it's just that, you know, I thought the solution to not being me was just not being me, right? Uh, so I tried that. It didn't work. So I just went back to being me. And eventually, after, after multiple years of sort of changing job fields and trying to find a place that was good, I... In 2016, I ended up landing a job uh, as a biomedical equipment repair technician. And I've been in that industry for about seven years now. And where this story gets kind of interesting is in October of 2021, I remember I was sitting at my desk at work. And at this point, I'm a dad with four kids and a mortgage and more bills to pay than I have fingers. And out of the corner of my eye, I see my boss coming. And every time I see that, I get understandably nervous, like, here we go again. I'm going to have to explain to my family again how I just suck as a person, and I've somehow screwed it up for everybody. But instead of pulling me into his office with an HR person just waiting to pounce on me, uh, we had a nice conversation. We had a conversation about how I'd done a lot of hard work for the company and how my production numbers were incredible. But they were looking to see if there was more to offer. Is there, is there more that I can do? And I tell them I'll do my best to meet any requirements that need meeting. I mean, I, I want to advance my career. I want to make more money, not just for me, but for my family. And he lists out sort of the requirements for this position that they're going to be introducing. And uh, I'm looking through the list. And, of course, I tell him, yeah, man, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And, you know, I, I, I sort of drove home and listen to Redeemer, strangely enough. And uh, I was like, oh my God, how do I do this? How do I, how do I morph? How do I, how do I reinvent? How do I do what Norma Jean did on Redeemer? That's, that's sort of 
the seed of where the comparison to the work experiences and the choices that were made on this album, you know, sort, sort of for, sort of started forming in my mind. And uh, I was like, how do I appear or, you know, how do I, do I have to change how I appear, how I come across to people? And uh, I did something a little bit different. Instead of just deciding I was going to act a specific way and be fake about it, I think some of you guys already know the story. I opened up a notepad document, and I made a list of my good qualities and my bad qualities. And over the next nine months, I painstakingly molded those good qualities while still trying to eliminate the bad ones. And I'm obviously still working on it because I'm not perfect. And I don't want anybody to think that I think that I'm perfect or that I think I'm completely fixed or that I, I don't have you know some of those rough edges. But much the same way that Redeemer sounds physically dirty, just like Bless the Martyr did, sometimes those rough edges are kind of where the charm is. At least that's what I tell myself. And uh, I'm still working on it, but the fun part of this story is that in early July, literally the same month that I'm recording this podcast, my boss called me at home. I'd left early on a Friday afternoon, and he called me to tell me that my promotion went through. And I was getting a raise as a result of all that hard work and dedication I'd put into trying to rise to this post challenge. And it took a long time. And I was genuinely shocked. I was genuinely surprised. Uh, and I said, wow, it's, it's really finally happening? And he replied, yeah. That's what I said. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. This one was a little bit different than the other episodes that I've had out. So I hope you guys liked it. I hope you guys liked a little bit more of a focus on storytelling. Because in my mind, music is more than just critical analysis. It's memories, right? I have so many memories associated with these records. And it's fun to see how they have affected us over the years as we've grown, as, as we've developed as people. Music has always been a very critical part of my life in that way. So I appreciate you guys checking that out, and hopefully you guys have your own memories. As of the recording of this particular episode of the podcast, the podcast should now be live uh, for the whole world to hear. And by the whole world, I mean at the very least on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Guys, if you have any questions for me, send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com or you can go to my website at www.dftdungeon.com and I'm also happy to announce that I have joined up with Gabber Media, the podcast network which hosts one of my favorite music podcasts of all time, which is the Roach Coach Podcast, so make sure you guys are checking them out if you guys are interested in chatting or sharing memes or just generally having a great time, make sure to join our Discord server. I will have a link in the show notes to where you can join the DFT Dungeon Discord server. A lot of people have asked me about Patreon. I have not gotten to the point where I'm ready to do that just yet, but it will be coming sometime in the future. So as always, thank you guys so much, and I will see you next week. <laughs>